David Atterbury, and this is Big Truths, a weekly podcast where we grow in Christian doctrine by looking through the door of church history. Well, I don't often comment on social media, but several years ago I noticed this comment by Cameron on Twitter. He wrote this in February 2021. He wrote, We should just pin all the debt in the world to one guy and then kill him. Someone by the name of Ryan responded in a tongue-in-cheek way, I think you just invented Christianity. But as Christians, as we consider this interchange, is this an accurate description of the central truth of Christian doctrine? Is this Christianity? Can our religion be simply summed up by this? One man died for all. Can we just simply say, Christ died for our sins? Is that a faithful summary of the faith once for all delivered to the saints? Christ died for our sins. And the answer to that is yes. Yes. Glorious, gloriously, joyfully, yes. Well, where do we see this in the Bible? Well, for example, 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul wrote, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now, what is that gospel? How is Paul going to define it? He goes on to say, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What's that? What is that gospel? What did Paul give to them as of first importance? It's this, quote, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3. So Paul tells us the gospel. Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. So that was how Paul summarized the content of the gospel, and he declared that message to be of first importance when raising up this new church in the faith. This was the message that defined and organized all of his teaching. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, it may surprise you to know not everyone agrees with this. Not everyone believes this is what happened on the cross, that Jesus died for our sins. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to explore the doctrine of the atonement. That is what the Bible says happened on the cross, the atonement. What does that word mean? We're going to think through church history and think through uh, systematic theology. That is just an orderly summary of the doctrines of the teachings of the Bible. But today, I want to think about, well, if we don't believe this, what other options are available to us? So who else in church history have disagreed with that? Who else in church history say something else, something other than why Jesus died? We have to examine this because in order to understand doctrine correctly, we need not only affirmations of what is true, we also need denials of what is not true true. So if one thing is true, then other things are not true. 
So we affirm this, we deny that. So in affirming the doctrine of the atonement, what should we also understand to not be true? We're going to explore this and more in this episode of Big Truths. explore the doctrine of the atonement. Historically, not everyone has agreed with what we would call penal substitutionary atonement. Now we'll get into that in the following weeks. What exactly is that doctrine? And who in church history have affirmed this? And where in the Bible can we see this doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement? Let me explain quickly what those words mean. Penal, referring to penalty. We are those who have incurred a penalty. So we deserve to be punished. We are under the wrath of God. But there has been a substitute. Someone took our place. The wrath that we deserved, the punishment that was due to us, went to another, namely Jesus Christ. Penal, substitutionary, and the third word is atonement. Well, what was the effect, the outcome of this substitution? The outcome is that we are at one with God. We have now peace with God. He paid our debt fully. Now, what have other people said in church history about this? Let me give you five different options in church history, how other people have tried to understand what happened on the cross. So number one, uh, we have representative here, the theologian Karl Barth. B-A-R-T-H. The T-H is silent. It's just Karl Barth. He was born in the year 1886. He died in the year 1968. Barth argued that when Jesus bore our sins on the cross, it was not to turn away the wrath of God, but instead what Jesus did on the cross was to unite all of humanity with the divine nature. So it didn't take away the wrath of God. The purpose of Jesus dying for our sins was to unite humanity with the divine nature. Now, if you think about this long enough, you'll realize this teaching paves the way for universal salvation. No one's going to go to hell now. Everyone's going to go to heaven. Because if all are united in Christ, who Bart will say, who reconciled all things to himself, then therefore no one could ever be separated from God in hell. Uh, Bart also argued that God simply chose in his freedom to forgive us, not because Jesus bore our penalty, so our freedom is not earned by Jesus dying for our sins, our freedom is simply because God chose to do that, and God can do whatever he wants. So God's free choice of forgiveness is our righteousness, not Jesus' blood. So here's what Karl Barth said in his work, Church Dogmatics. This is volume four, section one. He says, His forgiveness makes good our repudiation and failure, and thus overcomes the hurt that we do to God and the disturbance of the relationship between himself and us, and the disturbance of the general relationship between the creator and the creation. 
So Bart argued Jesus died on the cross not to take away the wrath of God, but to unite all of humanity with the divine nature. Number two, a second option available for us in church history to understand what happened on the cross. Uh, the figurehead I'll choose for this is Hugo Grotius, G-R-O-T-I-U-S. Hugo Grotius. He was born in the year 1583, died in the year 1645. Who was this man? Hugo Grotius was a student of a man by the name of Jacob Arminius. Perhaps you've heard of him. Arminius, that's where we get Arminianism from. And Hugo Grotius, as a student of Arminius, took his ideas and went a few steps further. And Grotius, Grotius taught that God chose to maintain the moral order of the universe by punishing Christ to show the seriousness of his law and holiness. So why did Jesus die? It was so that God could maintain the moral order of the universe. Sin is bad. His holiness, his law is very serious. To show how serious God is about his law and his holiness, he killed Christ. He punished Christ in order to maintain the moral order of the universe. So in this view, uh, Jesus did not bear our guilt since sin and guilt, Gratius taught, sin and guilt can't be transferred to another. So this is very important. This is a denial of the core uh, tenets of what we would understand as substitutionary atonement. That there has been an exchange. That our sins were placed on Christ. And his righteousness was placed on us. This double imputation, we might call it. Gratius said... Jesus did not bear our guilt. Sin and guilt can't be transferred to another. Uh, in his work of 1617, he writes this, quote, God who has supreme power as to all things not unjust in themselves and who is liable to no law, willed to use the torments and death of Christ for the setting up of a weighty example against the immense faults of us all." End quote. So why did Jesus die? It was to be an example, a weighty example. Uh, effectively, the cross, in his mind, uh, was God's warning shot to humanity, showing us how much he hates sin, which should then cause us to repent. So why should we repent? Because we saw Christ got punished on our behalf, and that should uh, impel us to change our ways now. So we should choose to repent now. And now that God has upheld his own honor by proving the weight of his law, now God is able to forgive. Number three, a third option in church history of what happened on the cross. Uh, a couple representatives of this view are Peter Ablard, born in the year 1079, he died in the year 1142. Peter Ablard and later Horace Bushnell argued for this position. Horace Bushnell, born in the year 1802, died in the year 1876. So they argued that the only thing that separates us from God is our proud minds and stubborn wills. So why are you separated from God? 
Yes, sin, but your sin is your pride. It's your stubbornness, not the holiness of God, not the wrath of God. That doesn't separate us. You're the problem. You are too stubborn to lay down your arms and your rebellion against God. So what does God have to do now? We are so cold-hearted. We're so hard-hearted. What could God do to reconcile us together? Abelard and Bushnell argued that God sent his son to die, a horrible death, in order to awaken our cold hearts with powerful moral influence. So why did Jesus die? To shock us, to, for us to realize how we're separated from God and that we should repent. So in this teaching, humanity is essentially good and no justice was satisfied on the cross. And God's hope in killing his son by allowing him, turning him over uh, in this way, was for us to see that God gets us. You know, he gets us. He understands us. We see the innocent Christ who did no wrong, suffering alongside his own creation. That's how much he loves us. And that should melt our hearts to love. Here's what Bushnell said in his book, God in Christ, published in the year 1849. Bushnell said, quote, It is not that the suffering appeases God, but that it expresses God. It displays in open history the unconquerable love of God's heart, end quote. So why did Jesus die? It wasn't to appease or turn away the wrath of God. God didn't need to be appeased. Bushnell and Abelard have said. Instead, the cross expressed the love of God who cares for his creation that is suffering. So he decided to suffer alongside us so that we would realize God does love us and therefore we should have warm hearts to him and be reconciled. But because we're essentially good, our sin doesn't separate us from God in the sense that justice needs to be paid and we need an outside alien forensic righteousness. No, instead, Abelard and Bushnell have said, the only thing that separates us from God is our sin in the sense that we're still proud, we're still stubborn. We need to see the example of Christ, his powerful moral influence. And in seeing that, it ought to melt our hearts so that we would come to God and therefore be reconciled. And here's a fourth position, number four. Uh, this position is put forth by Anselm, A-N-S-L-E-M. Anselm was born on the year 1033, died 1109. Anselm argued that the reason why the cross happened was because the honor of God, not the wrath of God, not the justice of God, but the honor of God needed to be satisfied on the cross. You see, you and I have been made by the Lord. Uh, he is like a great feudal overlord, a great king, and we are his subjects. And we have done him great harm. We have dishonored him. We have injured his dignity by our sin, by our rebellion. And so there's been an affront to the Lord. Now, we could pay for that. We could be punished uh, to appease his honor. But God, being the great gentleman, the great and noble Lord, uh, though we have violated his honor, not necessarily violating his law, by our sin and his holiness. But we violated his honor, Anselm said. 
And therefore, God graciously gave his own son as payment and compensation to himself for damages done. So it was for the honor of God, not to take away the wrath or the justice of God. It was the honor of God that needed to be restored. And he restored it to himself. Uh, the damage done to him, he paid it himself. So that's the view of Anselm. And finally, number five, a fifth option we see for the reason of the cross, why Jesus died. Uh, there were some early Greek fathers in the history of the church who argued that the purpose of the cross was so that Christ might engage in battle with Satan and that he could rescue those held captive by the powers of darkness. And thus, when he emerged from the tomb, he emerged in cosmic victory. Now, who were some church fathers who argued for this? Uh, one was the name of a, a church father by the name of Origen. Uh, he was born in the year 184, died in the year 253. Origen, spelled O-R-I-G-E-N, uh, Origen argued that Satan demanded the blood of Christ as payment for the release of captives. Uh, Origen, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, says this, The evil one reigned over us until the soul of Jesus had been given to him, that is, Satan, as a ransom, to him who deceived himself, thinking that he could be the master of Jesus, not realizing that Jesus did not suffer the agony which Satan applied to hold him down, end quote. So who demanded the blood of Christ? Whose idea was this? Uh, Origen said it was Satan's idea. The cross was the devil's idea. But God tricked Satan. God willingly gave his son, but then took him back. So there was, as it were, a prisoner exchange. Uh, Satan could not hold Jesus down. So in this way, God tricked Satan, offering his son in exchange for human souls, and then brilliantly took him back by the resurrection. And so he cheated death. He cheated the devil. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa, N-Y-S-S-A. Gregory of Nyssa, who was born in the year 335 and died in the year 394, he wrote this in his work, called the Great Catechism. Quote, In order to secure that the ransom in our behalf might be easily accepted by him who required it, that is by the devil, the devil required it, the deity was hidden under the veil of our nature, so that as with ravenous fish, the hook of the deity might be gulped down along with the bait of the flesh, end quote. So in other words, Satan, the deceiver, was himself deceived when Christ was raised from the dead. Now, how do we evaluate these five alternative views of the cross of Christ? They are all five of them deeply flawed. Why? Well, number one, working in reverse order now, we know the ransom was not paid to Satan because we sin against God, not against the devil. Number two, the honor of God is not reason enough for the cross 
because God's law was also transgressed. We are lawbreakers, not just those who offend the dignity of God. Number three, contra Bushnell, uh, the moral influence theory of the cross, it fails to deal with the pervasive nature of Old Testament sacrifices as payment for sins. And through that, we understand Christ is the Lamb of God. Number four, the moral order of the universe is not reason enough for the cross. Because the Bible says Jesus died for sins in view of God's righteousness, not just for abstract universal laws. And number five, the universal election of Karl Barth It does violence to texts like the Gospel of John, which says in John 3.18 that whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Well, what do we do with these alternative theories of the atonement? If these five are wrong, then what is right? And if these five are wrong, what exactly is wrong with them? Because some of these... Uh, they sound kind of all right. They sound kind of true. Uh, They're all sort of, in their own way, half-truths. So how do we make sense of these claims? Why did Jesus die? And when we ask that question and investigate the Bible, we're going to quickly realize that each one of these false theories of the atonement, they began by pulling on a thread of truth, we might say. We might ask, well, hang on, didn't Jesus die to defeat the powers of hell and Satan? Didn't he release us from Satan's grasp? I mean, after all, Colossians 1.13 says, uh, Christ, through the cross and his resurrection, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Well, I hope you join us next week. We're going to continue to think about this. We're going to tackle one by one these five false theories of the atonement. And we're going to discover and look through Scripture together about why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus Christ died for our sins. But what does that mean? I hope you join us next week where we're going to open another door for more big truths. Bye.